So welcome to Business's Personal Chat. This is the monthly chat I have and Penny has with our BIT members around the world. This podcast has been going now for, oh, coming up for three years. And we've been interviewing all of our 100 BIT members. Today we're with Brian Schuster, who's in, whereabouts are you in today? Carolina, did you say North Carolina? I'm in South, yeah, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for the 4th of July holiday. Myrtle Beach. And so we're talking, we've got a lot of questions to ask, Brian. We've got we've got 45 minutes. There's, there's a, this, this gentleman knows a lot of stuff. But before we get into that, Brian, you were introduced to Bit 100 by Jan Koch in Germany. Right. You wouldn't expect an American to join a community in London via Germany. Mm-hmm. Tell us the story in the background to joining, finding out, and then what the experience has been like being a member of a, of a small intimate group like this? Well, I mean, I mean, so I've always been very interested in business. I basically started working for my family business when I was 16 and they started, and my family started a business when I was like nine. So I've always felt and talked and communicated like that, that was my language. That's the frame which I look through problems in the world, et cetera. And one of the things I noticed is that even when I worked, went out to the world and I talked with, business people, entrepreneurs, people who clearly wanted to do stuff. I noticed that there wasn't a lot of folks who just enjoyed the process of business, right? I mean, for me, something I've said that always felt weird to me, but it felt accurate is to me is like business almost feels like almost like an art form in a way, right? Where like building, like I could think, imagine like an artist talks about a beautiful composition. I think that there are beautiful businesses, beautiful structures, beautiful ways to integrate these things, even though it's all about making money and, you know, providing a great service to your customers or whatever your model is. I always thought it was very interesting. And I remember in 2018, I actually had a group that was kind of like that, right? Where I actually got to just rip on business ideas and talk about, you know, like, you know, structures of businesses, how to do them better. And it was a lot of fun. And I remember I lost that after I, you know, moved back to North Carolina with my family And I I remember I was, you know, late last year, I was thinking like, I really wanted to find a community that I could engage in that way that I could actually just talk about. Well, this is intellectually debating and thinking through business. Right, right. Or just talking about people who enjoy thinking through business problems, who who like talking about it at a deep level. And I remember I, you know, I met Jan through, um, actually it was like through somebody mentioned him on Twitter to me once because I was interested in virtual summits and he was running virtual summits. I met him and I really liked Jan. I liked his outlook and what he was doing and just a very intellectually engaging, you know, gentleman. And he collected watches. Yes, that's right. We didn't figure that out until later. I'll get into the watch collection there, but right. But we, we kind of had these hobbies we enjoyed. And so I remember he introduced me to um, Mike, who's another member of BIP. I didn't know they were part of BIP at that point, but he was really interesting and exciting. Mike Jones or Mike Bourne Planner? Planner. Mike, Mike Planner. Bourne Planner. And uh, we, he was very intellectually engaging. And so finally he said like, hey, you know, here's there's this group BIP that I'm a part of. It's a business community. And I said, oh, okay, I'm, you know, I'll be interested. And then he said, oh yeah, by the way, well, I'm a member of it and Mike is a member of it. And that pretty much just sold me where it's like, well, this is the caliber of people and, you know, people who are just engaged and interested in like talking about this. It seems interesting to me. So I joined um, and yeah, that's how I got introduced to you, Thomas. What's the experience been like? It's been very, I mean, very exciting. I mean, is I guess I was what I would say. 
because like there's a huge, huge, huge number of interesting, I, I call them resources, right? Where you, there's just a lot of different experiences, but there's just been a lot of very intellectually engaging people within the community. I've had some nice deep discussions here. I've had people that I felt were interesting. And like, here's the thing, like you go inside BIP, it's like, you don't exactly know what you're going to get with each individual. There's a lot of variety in who you're talking to, but I always feel like I'm better off after the discussion. Like, you know, there, even though we don't have something to talk about right now, there's something unique and interesting. And there just seems to be a huge community of folks that I can go off and talk to about whatever I need to, right? You know, it feels like it's been, you know, it's been growing. And but are you yeah. getting that intellectual stimulus, that intellectual debate, that problem solving experience? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, oh, yes. I mean, like Jan and I, we still like, you know, talk back and forth as BIP members and, you know, as friends, I go and talk with Mike, you know, once every couple of months or so and think about like this other interesting business idea or concept. And like, you know, he'll, uh, Mike sent me, you know, a deck and asked me, Hey, can you review this, get some ideas. And it's just thinking through like, okay, if I'm a customer and I'm looking, how do I improve this? How do I make this better? I've taken people from my own personal network and thrown them into it and actually introduced them. So I do feel like I've been getting that intellectual stimulation from a business perspective, right? I can That's talk good. about watches and a bunch of things, but I don't have a lot of places I can really talk about business, but here I can, you know? Interesting. So let's talk about you and your career, Brian, because you have a lot of expertise in a lot of areas. When you read your profile on LinkedIn, well, all of the areas you post, it's it's a bit overwhelming to figure out how to classify you, put you in a box and label you. How do you label Brian? Well, if I had to simplify it as much as I can, it's really two areas of expertise that I've really grown over my career um, that what I've done. The first is what I would call systems building inside of businesses. That's, that's the more broad. Does that mean that software? No, actually, this is a, this is the non-technical side. It's actually building business systems, if you will, and trying to make. So you the, mean processes? Right, right. There, I, I, I might call it operations. Operations is a very hard term to just define for organizations. It's funny if you look up the definition of what a COO is, like chief operating officer, which is what I thought I would have been. There is no standard definition for it. You know, it could be a mini CEO. It could be somebody who leads like, you know, some operational organization, it could be internal, could be there. It, it doesn't have a definition. So I don't like that term, but I haven't found so a When you part. say business systems, you mean, you mean delivery of what that organization provides. Right, right. I mean, well, that's the thing. Like if you're, let's say you came to me and said, I want to run, you know, let's say I want to sell shirts or something like, right. And you think through how exactly are you going to deliver this to your customers? And it's not just thinking about like the actual operations of like, oh, I have a shirt and I want to deliver this. That's that's easy, honestly. And that's a pretty straightforward thing. There are experts on that. What's interesting is trying to figure out how do you build systems in uncertainty? That's where a lot of expertise comes in. Like, for example, I'm a, I joined a company this year called Macro, where we are a Web3 security company. We do audits for organizations, but we're, you know, for, you know. No one understands what contract. a Web3 security company is. You can't just throw that in. <laughs> a Web3 okay. security company, that's like I, 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 Chinese. 
How about this? I'm going to put a pin in that because I will be more than happy to get into that. But let me let me describe their circumstance right now. They are in the middle of a transition where they are a services company right now, but they're moving into becoming a product company, right? They're profitable. They're good. They have lots of customers. But now they're in a situation where we want to move into product. Well, guess what? It's not an easy transition to move from being services-based to building product-based. You don't want to shut down the services because that brings a lot of profitability to the organization. It brings a lot of value. But at the same time, you also don't want to move and you know, you know product is where we want to be. So the answer is it can't just be purely, oh, just do these set of steps because there's also this high level of uncertainty that you need to experiment with. You need to know, well, what exactly is the right product? What exactly is the right set of services? What are additional services that would benefit our organization given that it's high margin, it's better for our customers, it scales better for a lot of folks. And so there's all these different types of problems that you have to kind of take into consideration. And so, so when it's I said a puzzle, that, you're, you're solving the puzzle. That's how I think about it, I guess. It but feels surely, surely a company moving from services to product. Every every product is a service. Every service is a product. What what is the what is the real difference there? Is it something you're putting in a box and posting out to people? Well, because if it's web free security. You don't you don't send that through the post. Well, you can actually. That's the bet we're making. So really? through the post, yes, yes. Well, look here. At the end of the day, like um, you're you're uh, sending a key. <laughs> no, no, no. What I'm saying is that you can package it into software. So okay, okay. Let's just let's take a step back here. Let's move out of Web three security and just go into something else. For example, let's say you're a business consultant, all right, and you have some system that you do where it's like okay, but you're a business consultant that does really, really good at helping people come up with take a strategy behind your organization and simplifying it into, let's say, you know, what your management team needs to look like, what the pieces there, maybe like an overall organizational structure. When you provide a service, you, you and you say you're a solo house, right? You're basically trading dollars for hours, right? And you have an expertise that helps these people structure these ideas and you help them through the process and go through the steps and yada, 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 get down to these things. Well, over time, you'll start to realize that there's certain knowledge you have in the way that this works. Maybe it's a deep insight into the psychology of your customers. Maybe there's ideas on things that you're doing poorly. Maybe it's doing something that you realize, hey, this is actually something that everyone really needs. I do this for every single one of my customers, but it's not standardized right now. Nobody has figured that out. And it's only because I got this insight and customer engagement or whatever. Well, you can pretty much take that and processize it, right? And that's a term that um, processize, processize. Yeah, um, uh, a gentleman I'm acquainted with, uh, Sahil Labignia, who runs Gumroad and a few others. He wrote a book called um, "The Minimalist Entrepreneur." He came up with that term. It's a bit of a mouthful. What is it? The, like. the minimalist. The minimalist entrepreneur. Minimalist entrepreneur. His idea was that basically there's a step between I'm going to do this work for you, Thomas, and here is a product. I'm going to give you everything, which is to say being able to get into a consistent set of steps to be able to say, OK, when I go to a customer and I do this specialized thing, I do this step, this step, this step, this step, this step. And now it becomes a process. You sit it over in corner and you do this. And it's still human work because maybe you don't understand all the details there and maybe Maybe it can't be automated. Maybe it, there is really truly a creative element, but you put it off to the side. You do. Is this where is this where the MVP has come from? The minimal viable product, which I hear all the geeks and all the VCs talking about. Is that connected to that book? 
No, no, no. It's not. It actually came out. It came out recently. MVP is a, is is an older term. It's more like a building block to a product. It's a better building block to how to create a, a product, you know, for your organization, right? Because everyone wants to, everyone in software wants to jump to, I'm going to build this great product. I'm going to go put it out into the market and it's going to automate these. But for most products, you don't really know what the customers need at that point. Like when I talk okay, about- So this is about process design. Yeah, or designing a process that's able to start taking ideas out of your head, put it on paper and getting other people to be able to do it well to the quality that you need to and being able to sit it out. But then once you get that process in front of you, you can start to say, well, can we start to automate this even further, right? Because the better thing than being able to take it out of my head and teaching Thomas to do it is to take it out of my head and get in a computer to do it, right? But it's not as simple as just saying, get the process it down. Because again, computers are better at some things at humans and they're worse than humans at some things, right? There's, there's these steps. But you have to go through and you have to figure out how to iterate through that process. You got to go through and say, here's one iteration of it. Let's see how that works, right? You know, And the entire time, and the reason this is challenging is because you still have a business to run, right? You still got to make money out, out of this thing. Like if I could just sit in a lab and just come up with ideas and throw it out into the world, you know, in theory, you could come up with a solution. But the truth is, is you still got to pay employees, you still got to have customer relationships, you still got to get all these things to make it work. So it's almost like trying to come up with a system that is congruent with the rest of the organization. Right. That's part of the business system designs where you so is a lot of your work interviewing all the people who make up the company to try and find out where their where their pain points are in processes or in systems so that you can build this perfect system for these shirts or right I, I guess you know it's funny i've never really thought of it as like a job and, and i guess the thing i went as through a job you've never thought of it as a job no 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 i mean because it's because i've never because i've never gotten paid to do that specifically like i've never gotten hired to do this. so so i feel like we are way deep in the weeds but like I've never gone into a business and gotten hired specifically to do this thing. It's always been, I'm a developer, right? I get paid to do DevOps, or I got paid to be an operation expert, right? Or I'm being paid right now. I'm the head of growth of an organization there. But it's, you sit back, you look at the whole business, and I can't help but start to think, what exactly is going to get these guys to this next level? What's the thing there? And where do, where do I fit into that? Part of the reason why I do this is because... I'm trying to figure out where I fit into the greater whole of this organization, right? I'm trying to figure out like if I'm a growth lead, for example, and I had to bring in folks into this organization, it's not an individual part. It's not like I can go off and do marketing things without being congruent with the rest of the organization. The way to solve that problem is start at the very top, work your way down and figure out here's how marketing fits in. And this is where the sales organization is. And here's where operations is. And here's where services are. And here's how it works together. And then given all this, here are the different good outcomes we could go. And based on that, where do I fit in? That's going to give us the most leeway. It's going to make the business stronger. It's going to give us more options. It's going to make us better as an organization. And that's do you do that? I mean. Are you doing that through observing people at work and observing the software doing its job? Or are you interviewing all these different departments to figure out how you can make their lives better? I mean, are you like a, is it like being a coach or a management consultant or a systems design 
it's 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 very funny. hard to label this. It is, and this has been my struggle throughout my career because I I don't really have a, a name for this sort of thing. It's just it's just me, you know. I've I've I've, I've given is it, it Schusterism, <laughs> uh, Schusterian. Actually, it's a thing a mentor of mine years ago called it actually, and that's what one of the sub brands uh, that I did. I called a Schusterian career, is where it's just like it's just my way of looking at this, where I don't really know how to label this. I pretty much stopped trying. You but know, big firms hire you to sort this out for them. So you well, must be good at, uh, at Schusterianism. Well, that's the th that's the thing. When I get when I go to oh, okay, like you know, like what I'll get hired out, you know, to do is like you know, I've always been very specific in what I've done, right? Like I've been a DevOps engineer. Like okay, I'll give you an example of where no one is. knows what DevOps means unless they're a DevOps engineer. Okay, I was it, a DevOps engineer. It's ordinary people listening to this recording, they're walking the dog through the park, they're driving <laughs> the car, and they're right. saying, Thomas, this, you've, this guy has said DevOps. Can, can <laughs> you, what does that mean, Brian? DevOps, okay, so when I was In a- simple English. I will, I will. Okay, so you think about how technology was run 20 years ago, okay? Well, let's try to go back that far. And how do you, and the way that the functions work is that you had a development cycle where somebody was developing software for an organization, okay? And you basically came up with the design and process and everything. You said, okay, here are all the things the software needs to do. Here's all the features and functionality, and here is the software. But software can't exist on its own. It needs hardware to be able to go and run everything, right? It needs to exist on a server needs to have a database, needs to have all the connections set up, whatever. What and you know, and the people who had the software skills were not the people who had the hardware skills. So back Ooh. in the day you have right. You had well, so DevOps the, is the bridge. DevOps is it became the no actually that that's the fun thing. It used to be that when software got packaged up, it got through over a fence to the operations team. And they would set it up on the servers. They get it run out there. Now, it would be informed by the software team, right? They would say, oh, we need servers this size and needs this bandwidth. But then the operations folks who knew how to do the networking and like the computer networking, the administration, if it broke down to be, get it back up fixing, that was the group there. And what I just described to you is basically a very long cycle to get that done because you would develop software for months, maybe years even, gets thrown over and then runs. But that's a really inefficient way to run, you know, an organization, you know, that's a really inefficient way to create software, especially now when it's like you don't necessarily know what your customer is doing. Remember, that's that problem. We don't always know what the customers want. So we have to experiment. So the problem is you created these cycles where two different teams with two different skill sets have to keep going back and forth to figure these things out. And oh, by the way, if the servers crash, doesn't matter if it was software or hardware, everyone failed. DevOps came as a discipline because one cloud computing became more available as a, you know as you know as you know where develop you know it became easier to spin up servers it became easier to get them networked it got them easier to get created and oh so, so because cloud made it easier to access the hardware the hardware piece became trivial it became it, it became but you still needed somebody who knew both the software and the hardware that's a developer operations person became devops right right and so what ended up happening is you could take these two disciplines and get them closer together, right? Because there are still cloud experts and there's still software experts and there's people who know the middle. But now instead of having thrown it over a fence, you could develop a feature, deploy it, see it out there in the world, 
And now you could actually get it, you know, you, you could actually see it running quite quickly. And so a DevOps engineer like myself would basically help people create what we call the CI-CD pipelines, right? Continuous integration, continuous deployment. So that was easier for software engineers to deploy. We could spin up the servers quickly so they could do, you know, one, if we, you know, if they needed some big soft, you know, big servers, we could make that easy. Or we could make it so that they could deploy it on their own, right? That's something else we could do. If they had problems, we could integrate with the team. That's the sort of discipline. That's what came out in the last 20, 20 years. But that was me as a DevOps engineer. But and that, funny enough, that's that the label even, that everyone knows you for, a DevOps engineer. At IBM, they did. But even still, <laughs> I've changed again. <laughs> but, but in your new job for Macro, your new support role with them, you're you're not you're not just a DevOps guy. You're much more. Oh, than that. oh no, no. I actually even there processize your. Yeah, I'm a grow. I, I'm the head of growth inside of the organization at Macro. But you said you're taking them from a service business to a product business. How do you? I'm part of. Well, I'm part of. The, basically, I'm part of the team that's working through that. Right. So let's let, take a step back then. So. You said I did a lot, and that's actually accurate because what I just described to you was my old job that I did there, and I had a job before that, and everything else. It's quite complicated how I got here. So when I when I was at IBM, I was a DevOps engineer, and then I was also an operational lead for them as well. So I actually ran the team to make sure that they could all do those things well, and I did a lot of strategy stuff with them, etc. Left that, taught Web three for a year, right, where I actually taught. Um, smart contract development. So I actually, you know, is that what Web3 means? Smart contract. That's right. That's right. So building on Ethereum, building on, you know, Bitcoin, Cosmos, or like anyone of those. Web3, you mean blockchain. That's correct. Yes. Blockchain. That's how your audience would know. So then, and I had all the, you know, so it was just a new skill set I was developing. You know, it was a, you know, something I was learning to, it was something I was interesting. I've been interested in it since 2016. It was kind of a side hobby that I did. I've written about it, developed with it. And then I did that for a year and I decided I wanted to make a transition in my career because even though I had all these great operational skills, I wanted to learn growth skills where it's like I knew how to make an organization run, but I didn't know necessarily how to put all the pieces together to get it to grow. And so- You I mean joined- grow in terms of sales and marketing or some other kind of growth? Marketing. So you're talking about growing revenue. That's right. That was a new skill set I wanted to develop. I had some of the pieces, but I'd never put it together for a business. But basically. in simple terms, isn't this just an engineer becoming a salesman? <laughs> um, yeah, you could say that. That's one of the things. Or is that I mean, too simple? I should say yeah. salesperson, so I don't offend anyone. No, 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 no. It's a... I guess when I sat back and I looked at what I wanted out of my career, like when I sit back and I look at the business, it's like, look, I want to make great business systems. I want to make the whole engine run. And I only knew it from operations, right? I only knew it from the inside of the machine. I accepted this role because I wanted to learn, well, okay, I knew one piece of the machine. I knew how to build, but I also want to learn how to grow. I want to learn how to sell. I want to learn how to do that because to me, it felt like I was taking this knowledge from, you know, from growth and figuring out how to make a better system. You know, I could be maybe self-reliant isn't the right term, but I can understand how the whole system works. And it gave me a better understanding of how this whole thing works. So I got hired to grow 
macro and grow it as a organization. But now I kind of consider my job. Oh, really, you're in a sales and marketing role. Right now, yeah. And you have to backfill that into these systems. Basically, right, right. Are you using systems? Are you using systems to grow sales and marketing, or are you using sales and marketing to grow systems? <laughs> well, how do I think? So, in this role, how do I think about it? I see it started off as how do we grow the organization, and I thought about that, but it ended up being a lot more complicated as I got in there. Because again, I never get into these roles and think I want to get into these positions where, like, I'm um, how do I say? I never want to get in there and decide, oh, I need to do these other things. It always just kind of comes secondary where it realizes there's a much bigger issue here and that if we're going to grow to this next level, we need to be talking about this, 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 this as well. So like when I first grew, I thought it was just a services organization, right? In which case the job would have been very straightforward, but it's not because there's a services component, there's a product component here. So it's like, I started off with growth where it's like, I'm going to learn growth. I'm going to do well. And I'm going to figure out what does it take to do that? And I always have a system way of thinking about that. It's never a, it's never, you know, there, it's just, here are the things we're going to be doing. Here's the experiments we're going to be running. But counter to that is always this, you know, while we're doing this part of the role, there's this other part that says, well, the organization's got to grow and it's got to grow in this particular way. So it's like, I can't just shut my brain off to the side because at some point this is going to be very relevant to our organization. As a matter of fact, it's a product. So it's going to be the biggest part of our organization. So the question is, not just how you're going to build the services part of the organization, but how are you going to build it in such a way that it is congruent with what we want to have and allows for experimentation on the side, whatever. And when I keep doing this, it's talking about what the product is and you know, it's the product side of the organization. So that kind of backs into, well, what does the whole system need to look like? What do all these pieces need to do to get into this? And like, again, like I said, never really gone in and got hired specifically to do this, but it just, happens it has to happen because if you don't think through these problems you're not going to get the result you're looking for and that's but am i am i trivializing it if i if i say is all brian's doing is automating sales and marketing into the back office um, am i make am i trivializing the skill well i mean like you can you can say that about anything right where it's like all we're doing with this business is just you know making it easy to package up meats and cheeses and send it out to folks or whatever no, it's, it's more that, here's a good way of thinking about it. Every single- I like what you're saying, by the way. I'm just trying to understand oh, yeah, yeah. it for the listener. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I'm doing, no, thank you for asking this because this is giving me time to kind of put in there. Look, let me put it this way. Every single thing you have in your organization that is in somebody's head, like when you sit down in a business and you look at someone and said, oh, we use Brent. And Brent is really, really good at sales. And boy, Brent is a great salesperson. And he's the one who handles all these things. And every time that's stuck in somebody's head or stuck in an organization where you can't describe it, that's a risk to the organization. Okay? Right. You oh, I see. Run. So this is about de-risking and getting stuff out of people's heads and into, into the software, into that's the system, major. into the process. Exactly. That's a major part of it. Because here's the thing, at some point we know, like, look, the bus is running forward. We have a business, we are serving a set of customers, it's profitable, it's great, right? You know what you do. We know we want to go off into all these different directions, but we also know, hey, if one of these wheels falls off the bus, if we lose a key, indiv key individual, 
if we lose something, if we have something go wrong, we still want the bus to go forward. The thing that you do then is basically you figure out what the system is that works. You take the best information you have, processize it, automate it, do whatever it takes, get those systems in place. And the less you have to think about that and you know it works, the more creative time you give to the rest of your people to work on the other set of challenges. Okay, I get that. So in order to get that thing that's in Brent's head or any of the other people's head, you must have to interview them to find out what it is they have in their thing that you can then put into the machine. Yeah, it, yes. So does that make you a does that make you a coach? Huh. You know, I I think of myself as a mentor. I love being a mentor and doing that. Interviewing is 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 part of the process, but funny enough, that's not the main way I feel like. I study how these things actually work. Like I've never, I've never, let me put it this way. I've never thought of myself as somebody who's gone around and interviewed and talked to folks, even though that's a key thing that I do. Like you, you have to get close to these folks. You have to understand what the role is. You have to know these. It's more that I've watched them work. It's not that I interview because here's the thing. Not You're looking most, over their shoulder and watching them typing on the keyboard. Yeah, like that. That's that's something I've done before, actually. Like I've had that. Or I watch their work, or I watch their results, or I ask them. Because here's the thing: in the 1960s, they used to call that a time and motion study. Time and motion. I didn't know that actually. You didn't know that? Oh, blimey! I'm oh. showing my age here. <laughs> that's the downside of having a 30-year lead on you. <laughs> no, no, it's that's that's interesting. Time and motion. Well, I'll have to study that now. But no, it, what, what I've learned, and, and funny enough, I learned this not from myself, but from my mother, actually. My mom was actually like the main operations person in family's business. And literally, like my, da my dad would have some major problem in the business. He would take her, throw her at the problem, and she would just envelop herself in the problem, right? It's not that I'm doing interviews or I'm doing this. It's almost like I need to understand the problem. I need it, Amazon uses this term, get a fingertip feel for the business right that's what i want to feel i want it almost in my head i want to start you want to feel the problem right i want to put a map down and i want to be able to say in my head be able to write down this is how this system works these are all the things that you need to be able to do some of it is interviewing some of it is interviewing but honestly most people are pretty bad particularly the, the better they are at what they do the worse they tend to be at being able to get that stuff out of their head you have to watch them, see what the result is, and then come back to them and say, this is what you're doing. This is the things that you're doing. You're doing this call. You're doing this thing. Because to them, like it may not even be logically there, right? And maybe they have habits that they do, that they know to do. Like if they're a great, like I have someone in our organization who's an amazing software engineer who like, I, I bet you he can't even tell me how he does some of the things. But if I sat there and watched it, I could say, you're doing this in the council right now. You're thinking through problems this way. You have a notepad where you're writing stuff down. What is that? You know, what are you doing right now? And all you're trying to do is you're trying to piece all these things together, put a map down on there. And I, when I say map, I literally mean like, you know, whiteboard, start writing it down, pen and paper, start writing it down and say, this is how the system works. And then you start to back up and it's like, okay, well, what are the repeatable parts of this process that we can put into the system? What are the things that we can hire away, right? What, where is the real critical creativity here? Where is it at? Cause like, like, look, Thomas, if I drop you in a situation and you're smart and dedicated, you'll learn a lot of things, but there's going to be a lot of inefficiencies, even if you're really good at what you do. 
If you can pull those out, understand them, you can study it and go and say, here's how I think we can do it better. Here's how I think we can experiment to get the same result. And so that leads to the next step. Here's a bunch of metrics we're going to drive. Whether or not I say, do we get better or worse results from that? Here's an experiment we're going to run. It's going to take this long to be able to go through. We're going to see this result here. And then we'll see if it actually works. We'll see if that, that happens. That's I love it. I love it. I, I don't know what that's called, but that's how I think well, about all my problems. If, if we go to the 1960s, you can look this up, but that's definitely a time and motion study. Mm. And, men, and people used to dress in a brown coat when they did that. And they used to learn from observation. You're talking about learning from observation. Yes, that's that's the thing here. Getting things out of people's head, putting it inside the system. Now, Brian, you've had a lot of people influence your life. People like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right. Ravikant, Alex mm -hmm. Formosi, Derek Sivers. Why, why are these, why do you specifically mention these people in your profile as influencers? What have they, what have they done for you that makes you put them in your profile? Well, there's, there's a couple of folks, there's two types of folks that I, I think of when I think of who influences me. And it tends to be people whose logic I really like or worldview or processes or systems I really like, you know, and we'll so what the consultants like to call their lens on the world. Right, right, right. They, they, a set of methodologies, practices, things like that. So for me, like, you know, one of the people that I really like is, um, uh, he, he, I didn't put him down here, but like people like Jim Collins, for example, is an author. He's not on that list, but it's somebody who I like his lens and frame of the world. Ben Horowitz is another person where I think he has a very interesting perspective on founders and how they build systems and you know the way they the way they build Stephen Covey I like his personal systems and the way he uses it and these are like processes systems Tim Ferriss a little bit like you know I like he has a lot of tactical stuff that I really like to pull in that's one group then the other group are like people's whose worlds I want to be a part of you know right and and what to do so like um Derek Sivers is a person there where it's like he has a worldview. I could never live like him. He's he's basically he started a business. He ran it for eight years. And basically I'm not, not going to say he's been a hermit, but like he just goes off, does interesting stuff. He writes about it, does philosophy where it's like I like his world. You know, I would be I would would not mind vacationing in his world. Right. That's one person that's there. Naval Ravikant, very similar way where he has really interesting ideas, but like he has a very cool philosophy where it's like, you know, I, I wouldn't mind living in his shoes, right? There's people like that 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 have that worldview. You don't want to um, you don't want to live their lives. You just want to learn from the way they've lived theirs. Right. That, that's a good way. That's a good way of putting it. Like um, I, I'll give the contrast here. Ben Horowitz is very smart. I like his worldview but it's very bleak. <laughs> like living, I get very depressed when I read his book, you know, The Hard Thing About Hard Things for Too Long, because it's like, I know it's right. I know logically he has a good way of doing it, but it's not like I wouldn't want to do, I, I wouldn't want to live my life like, you know, like he recommends because it's a very, it's a very wartime mentality, right? You know, it's like, you know, like if you read a soldier's journal, right, you know, even if it's a great warrior, it's not necessarily you want to be living like a warrior at the end of the day, because, you know, sometimes very dark. Versus like somebody like Derek Sivers, even though he doesn't write about like what his lifestyle is like, it's a much, it's a better lifestyle, right? It's one that I look at and like, I wouldn't mind living like this. I wouldn't mind sitting in these shoes for a bit, right? That's another type personality that, you know, I look at. Does that make sense? It does. But when you've got somebody like um, Ben Horowitz 
giving the bleak view. His business partner, Mark Andreessen, who created the Mosaic browser back in 93, that we used to download and play with, right. trying to figure out where we were going. He's he's much more optimistic and says, and, and he was on the interview the other day with, uh, what's his name? Lex Fridman. Right. Talking about how AI is going to save the world. Very mm -hmm. positive, optimistic, believe, completely the opposite of Ben and their business partners. Mm -hmm. And one argument is AI, Terminator 2, Cyberdyne Systems, we're all going to get wiped out. Mark was the complete opposite, and he's the business partner of Ben Horowitz. Right. But you mentioned Ben. You don't mention Mark. Yeah, I, I've never, because I've read some stuff from Mark. And again, you don't, I don't know why certain authors hit me the way I do. They do. Um, I think um, the hard thing about hard things, his book really compelled me. That that made it's, sense. It's it's process thinkers or process thinkers. Right, right. Have that, you have you watched Arnold Schwarzenegger on his Netflix doc, sort of documentary interview? Which one? Because I've he, Schwarzenegger is one of the exceptions to my rule, where one or the other he. Very, he's done a very interesting. It's very recent. It's only just dropped on Netflix. I did not. I have not watched that one. No, not yet. He talks about getting into the minds of his, um, the people he needed to get inside in order to be a bodybuilder, get out right. of Austria, get to America, get into the movies, and it, and how he works through the process of achieving all these things step by step. It's very fascinating to watch, because. Yeah. Arnold is one of those people who's achieved everything he set out to. Right. And if they did allow Austrians to be president, he'd probably be president too. He would have been. He, he, he probably would have been at some point. No. Yeah. So I, I mentioned. Why is Arnold inspiring? Well, because he fits into both categories for me in a way that I would, wouldn't expect. Because like there's good thinkers and there's people whose worlds I want to envelop because they have some quality I want. And Schwarzenegger is both to me, right? He has a very clear and very easy to follow, not easy to follow, but like a very clear way of how he accomplished the things he did. He's a very, he's very systematic in the way he approached it. He is but, systematic. Right. But the other thing too, is that like when you read his book and you read what he does, he's very ambitious. He's very driven, but you don't get a sense that there's a lot of, you don't get a sense that he's very like unhappy you know, and what to do. Like, I'll get a sense like, you know, Ben Horowitz, it's like wartime CEO and perspective or Andy Grove, for example. Andy you know, Grove, I loved Andy Grove. He's he's great. He's another one that I could put on that list. But the thing is that I look at it in the way he talks about business and the way he does it, it just seems like fun. I mean, that's what I mean by you want to go into the world. It seems like when Schwarzenegger, and that's the thing, when I say I like Schwarzenegger, it's not because of his movies, it's not because of that, it's because of him as a business person and an investor where it's just like, it just seems like he's going after these businesses and they just seem like fun. There's like a levity that's a part of it that I really, you really don't see in modern, like, you know, business books today, you know, in, in the way so you talk you're about talking it. about systematic thinking. Yeah, yeah. His, the, I, appeal, I, the appeal is the process of thinking through their goals and achieving them. That's appealing. That's creating this influence on you. Yeah. I, I mean, for, let's see, for Schwarzenegger specifically, his system was very influential, but like he, he's not on the list necessarily just because of that, because like, you know, it wasn't like he wrote a self-help book on how to do it. So like the system thinking is very useful, like, you know, um, you know, on all those steps. 
But like at the same time, I feel like there's like a a very a, a deep dark seriousness that's in most business books. It, it, like seriously, next time you go out and you start reading about this, try to read a book that you can find that really talks about somebody being big and successful and doing something where they actually feel like there's a joy about what they're doing, where they actually seem to really love what they do. And the truth is, is that it's very, the business culture today is very, dark is not exactly the right term, but it's not too far away, right? Where it's like, it's like, ah, we're, we're, you know, it's very serious, you know, ah, we're saving the world, we have to do this. And like, there's all this stuff. And like, being a CEO of a company, it's very, very, impactful. There is that stress on you. And there, it's not like you can really wash that away entirely. But I you're feel right. Like you're very people, right what you're saying. Right. And that's very dark. It's like a darkness, isn't it? Right. Versus like some people like Derek Sivers is very light. If you read his book, like, you know, uh, you know, um, what, what is what anything you want is his book. Very short, great book, great read. Schwarzenegger, there's like a lightness about it where it's like he talked about business. And it's like I remember this one section where he's talking about running his, you know, Art Schwarzenegger Inc. And he had his group of people around him talking about it. it's like, okay, people want a belt. Okay, let's go make a belt. Where are we going to get the materials to do this? Okay, we're doing this. How are we going to brand this? Right? This and like today, work where you talk about business, it's like life and death scenarios, right? To these things versus here, there's a lightness. And even though I haven't necessarily done a good job bringing that lightness always into my life. It's the reason I read those people. And it's the reason why I've read Schwarzenegger's biography like five times at this point. I haven't, I've done, I usually read books once or twice, but that one's literally like the influence of my life where it's like, I really want this philosophy in my life. Same reason I read Derek Sivers over. And how there. would you describe Schwarzenegger's philosophy? Systematic thinking? It's, yes, that's, he is, let's see. I mean, his philosophy is one, very, very clear, strong goals breaking it down into systems. But here's the thing, it's not just systems, it's also the human element within that system that's really important. That's something else I've become very attuned to over time. Because it wasn't just about the system that it takes to get there, but it's also how is he going to do the things necessary to get him to that next level? And how does he make it easy? How does he make it habitual? That's a lot of things. If you build a very system... Very interesting, because Tom Cruise launching his new book, uh, launching his new movie, uh, Dead Reckoning, you know, part one this week, talking about, I always do everything consistently. I consistently, habitually repeat the same process day in, day out, until I get that movie absolutely now. And that, right. that repetitive, systematic thinking. Now, Brian, we're coming to the last few minutes. Believe it or not, we're nearly at 45. Oh, my Lord. Um, yeah. You're a father of four. Yeah. And you gave up alcohol in 2018. I also gave up alcohol in 2018. What's oh. the connection between being a father of four and giving up alcohol in 2018? Is there any connection or am I fishing in the dark? <laughs> it's funny. I gave up alcohol after my second kid, right? And in, in, in doing that, it wasn't my first. But like, um, I, I guess for me, he, what happened with alcohol is that like, for me, okay, so like, for me, I've always dealt with like, depression and things like that. I didn't know that at the time, right? Because I didn't really get a, you know, my depression diagnosis until like, you know, within the last five years or so. So this was, you know, after giving up alcohol, but I kind of knew it was something where it's like, you know, something, you know, I, I remember sitting there in my house. I remember, cause I had drank like 
you know, pretty frequently. And like, you know, I, I had a cold the day before, whatever. And it was like, ah, uh, you know, there. And then I remember I was having a drink the next day and I was like, shit, I'm sick. I'm doing this. But it felt like, you know, for me, like I needed whatever the alcohol was giving me at the time. Turns out I realized it was helping anxiety, right? It was self-medicating without realizing it was, you know, self-medicating. And like, I just, at some point decided I, I was done. Like, I just, like, I, I just, I, I got up and it's like, look, I, need to go. I need to stop this. And it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to be a better father or doing that. I just looked at this and said, I don't know what the future holds, right? I don't know what this looks like, but this is one of those influences that it's so bad on so many directions and there's very little good. And so like, I basically, I came up with a game plan for how I was going to like stop it. And at the time it wasn't, I'm going to give it up forever. Right. And do this. And even today, like, you know, if I'm out at like, you know, you know, like if I go to a conference or something like that or whatever, and like, you know, like, like when I went to Mykonos, they were doing shots of limoncello. So it's like a little half shot. Okay, cheers. Had a little half shot done, right? It just doesn't do anything, you know, for me anymore. But when I was, when I was looking back you at it. You said goodbye to alcohol forever. Say what? You said goodbye to alcohol forever, haven't you? Yeah, it's not, it just, it doesn't do anything for me. Like, here's the thing. It was, it, it went from something where I needed it in my life to, I just, don't like it just doesn't do anything it doesn't it didn't have any impact to me it doesn't it doesn't do that you know and it's funny it's like i'm at a point where it's like my wife drinks you know has a bourbon every night she loves you know to have a glass it's her to to relax for me it doesn't do a lot to do that so so anyway just going back i had to come up with a process to actually do that and i literally had like a detox right where i was night where it's like i literally did a replacement where instead of having a drink at night, I had like a carbonated, you know, a carbonated water basically. And I did like video games at night that to keep my brain engaged. Right. Cause there was a lot of activity going on that time. And it wasn't a give it up forever. It was just, let's just try for a couple of weeks. And then two weeks turned into a month and turned into a quarter, then turned into a year. And then eventually it just, you know, wasn't. Hold on you. Brian, we're at the end of time. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> let's, let's give us, let's give our listeners, give our readers, a sort of summary for the future what to uh, what to watch out for what to consider what to plan in what not to fear what to be concerned about give them a sort of a a schusterian futurism i guess if i guess for me if you're going to be going on and doing stuff i like thinking very deeply about things that's something i enjoy doing so think deeply no the opposite <laughs> don't think deeply no, no, because like you can think deeply and get done and and go into these things and it's enjoyable to do that. But the reason I have this viewpoint and what I do is because I've actually done the work. One of the things for people like me that get trapped in is they get stuck in the thought trap, right? And what they do where they overthink and overcomplicate and do these things and the, the system is there. At the end of the day, all these things need to be battle tested. All these things need to get out there. It's why I talk about experimentation and, do, and I talk about experimentation. I talk about getting out there in the world. It's only useful if it actually is used by people, you know, and what you do. Having so you're, this, you're not saying overthinking, you're saying underthinking. I'm saying it's a pref. I'm saying I like having a bias for action in the direction and that you should have these mappings on what you do. But I would say that ultimately at the end of the day, and I don't mean to be contrarian to what I've said before, because I love thinking deeply, but the deep thinking only works if it's actually supported by action. <laughs> okay. And are you, are you optimistic about the future or are you pessimistic about the future? I have no choice but to be optimistic about the future. It's a active, willing, 
it's a it's a it, it is a it is a it, it's almost like religious for me where it's like i have to be optimistic i will be optimistic it's a choice to say that i am that way most people treat it, it is as a different. choice you said you didn't have a choice you had you didn't have a choice you could only be optimistic i don't have a choice i have to be optimistic that's my duty to the rest of the world to be optimistic and i think it's everyone's yes. duty to do that so i am very optimistic and yeah that's, that's how i feel so to everyone out everyone out there listening in your car on the plane at the airport walking the dog in the gym wherever you're listening this was 45 minutes with Brian Schuster, who I really like and really admire and struggle to understand, but I like <laughs> the bits that I do understand. And if you want to get, if you want to sort out your, your systems, your business processes, your systematic thinking, Brian is the man to talk to. Brian, tell everyone how they can get in touch with you easiest. The easiest way is I, I'm almost always on LinkedIn, basically, so you can get in touch with me there. I also have my Twitter that I'm growing due to my, you know, Web3 influence, right? Smart contracts, right? Because that's where everyone is there. And honestly, but if you want to connect with me, LinkedIn is the easiest way to do that. So for everyone listening, it's Brian, B-R-I-A-N and Schuster, S-C-H-U-S-T-E-R. And for those of you who know the publisher in New York, Simon and Schuster. No relation. We're a, diff we're a different family. <laughs> but uh, the same, obviously the same, presumably that's a German name from many years ago, I'd imagine. Is that a German name? It, it, it Germanic is. Germanic name? It's it, it, from that, that region because, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it, that, it's best we know it's from that region. <laughs> Thoroughly recommend you have a chat with Brian. You can message me on WhatsApp. That's public all over the web. You can email me. I can connect you to Brian or, as he says, via his Twitter or via his LinkedIn. Can you remind people of your handle on Twitter, Brian? Is it? Oh, it's really easy. Uh, dash in dash Schuster. Dash in dash Schuster. Well, it, 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 dash Schuster. Schuster basically is. But yeah, it's just search Schuster. And I got the handle because I joined in like 2008. So oh, I, I, I got Schuster. Brian Schuster, this has been your life on BitChat. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thank you much.